Well, we are continuing this morning with our study through the book of Acts. Today, we are looking specifically at Acts 24, verses 22 to 27. In these verses, uh, we see Paul interacting with Felix, who is the Roman governor of Judea at that time. And this, act, this conversation, this interaction took place immediately following the time when Paul was answering charges brought against him by the Jewish ruling council with, where, in a place where Felix was presiding. But to understand the context of how this came about, we need to go back to the end of Paul's third missionary journey. There's a number of events that happen, all one on top of the other, and they're all connected even with what we're looking at today. So it was at the end of Paul's third missionary journey that he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem. Well, on his return trip to Jerusalem, he was able to visit with believers in various cities along the way. It seemed like virtually everywhere he went, there was someone there, or maybe several someones, who had, had prophetic words from God, from the Lord, about great trials and afflictions and difficulty that, that awaited Paul in Jerusalem. So in response to that, as the believers heard these things, they began to plead with Paul, don't go, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. Everybody, everything says it's going to be terrible. Well, Paul's mind would not be changed. Uh, he was convinced the Lord wanted him to go, and he did not understand these prophecies being meant to keep him away, but to prepare him for what was going to happen. So he continued on. But when he got to Jerusalem, Paul met with the elders of the Jerusalem church. They suggested that he participate in a purification rite in the temple that several of their other members were uh, doing. And they hoped that this would help the Jewish believers realize that Paul was not against people, uh, Jews continuing to practice different aspects of the ceremonial law. They had been hearing that he was basically forbidding Jews to do those kind of things. Well, Paul gladly participated in that purification rite as an act of worship for himself between he and the Lord. Well, while Paul was in the temple, there were some Jews from Asia who were not believers, but they recognized him. They were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and that's what uh, Paul was there for as well. And they recognized Paul because he had been very effective in Asia, especially in Ephesus, but his... his, his uh, his influence was, was wide in the province of Asia, so he was well known to them, and therefore they recognized him. Well, they accused Paul uh, in a public way of speaking against the Jewish people. They accused him of speaking against the law of Moses. They accused him of speaking against the temple, and they succeeded in starting a riot with the intention of killing Paul. Well, the Roman commander who was there with the help of 200 soldiers, intervened while they were beating Paul and rescued him. So even though Paul had just barely escaped with his life, he then asked the commander if he could have permission before he took him into the barracks to speak to the people who had just tried to kill him. So he did. In Acts 22, we see that he shared what he shared with his fellow Jews. He spoke of his conversion to faith in Jesus as the Christ. And as he told his story, he made sure to help them understand that it all happened in the context of his Jewishness. He told of how the Lord Jesus appeared to him while he was on his way to arrest Christians under the orders from the Sanhedrin. The Lord transformed his heart. 
Paul believed in Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ, and he embraced him as his Savior and Lord. Then Paul told them of something that happened like three years after that because he did return to Jerusalem at that point. He was worshiping in the temple, and at that time Jesus appeared to him again and told Paul to go to the Gentiles with the gospel. Well, when he said that, the Jews that were listening here who had just been rioting, they got all agitated again, all angry, and began to threaten Paul once again, saying things like, this man should not even be allowed to live. The Roman commander couldn't figure out why this was such a big deal. He couldn't figure out why they were so upset. He actually planned to have Paul scourged, but Paul was a Roman citizen, so that was not allowed. So he decided to call the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, together to meet with Paul the next day. Well, in Acts 23, we see that Paul told them that he served the Lord with a clear conscience. He no more hardly got that out of his mouth than the high priest ordered to have him struck on the mouth for that statement because if Paul was right that he was serving the Lord with a clear conscience, that meant the Sanhedrin was wrong for rejecting Jesus as the Christ, and they understood that. But the Lord then gave Paul a prophetic word for the high priest. He called him a whitewashed wall, the idea of looking nice and clean and presentable on the outside, but inside was full of rot and decay. He said that God was going to strike him down, which actually did happen just a few years later. Paul also told them in this meeting that he was on trial for his belief in the resurrection. Well, that caused a very heated argument among the, uh, those in the Sanhedrin, and it got violent once again, and once again the Roman commander had to rescue Paul. Well, that very night, the Lord Jesus appeared to Paul again personally and encouraged him. He said Paul had testified with great courage there in Jerusalem, and he promised him, he said, you're going to have the opportunity to also testify with courage in Rome as well. Well, the very next morning, we find out that over 40 Jews had conspired together to kill Paul. They convinced the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, to join with them in this wicked plan. The council was to tell the Roman commander that they wanted to question Paul more thoroughly. Well, while they were on their way to that meeting, these conspirators said, we're going to ambush you, ambush, and then we're going to kill Paul on the way. Well, the Lord providentially intervened to nullify that wicked plan to shed innocent blood, and the Lord caused Paul's nephew to be in the right place at just the right time to overhear every detail of that plan. He was able to enter the Roman barracks to let the commander know about the conspiracy. Well, the commander then ordered 470 soldiers all together to escort Paul to Caesarea through the night so that he would be safe. It was in Caesarea that Paul was stand before Felix, who was, we're talking about this morning. He was going to stand before Felix and the Sanhedrin would make their case against him. And that's what happened in the first part of Acts 24. The Sanhedrin are represented by an attorney. He accused Paul of being a pest, always stirring up dissension, said he was trying to desecrate the temple, and called him the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Well, Paul answered by saying that it wasn't him who caused the riot in Jerusalem. It was the Jews from Asia, and if they had a problem with Paul, they should have been present at this hearing to bring it up, but they weren't there. He also said he had no intention of desecrating the temple. He was there for the purpose of worship. 
And as a part of that worship, he had even brought alms, uh, offerings for his fellow Jews. Uh, and, and we know from Paul's letter that that's exactly what he was doing, a part, big part of what he was doing, uh, bringing, had collected offerings from the Gentile churches to bring back to the Jerusalem church, especially to help those who were poor in that church. But Paul did not deny that he was part of the way, which the Jewish leaders were calling a false religion. Paul was most definitely a Christian, but he was a Christian who was Jewish. He believed everything that was in the law of Moses. He believed everything that was written in the prophets. He also believed there would be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked on judgment day, just like the Hebrew scriptures said. Well, that brings us really to the interactions then that Paul had with Felix after that trial took place. So, we're looking now at Acts 24, verses 22 to 27. But Felix, this is after Paul had finished his, finished his presentation, his defense. But Felix, having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias, the commander, comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the, uh, to the centurion, for him to be kept in custody and yet have some freedom and not to prevent any of his friends from ministering to him. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. But after two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and wishing to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul imprisoned. So Luke tells us that Felix did have a more precise knowledge of the way. We need to think about what that means. We also, need, we also see that Paul spoke in more detail about the way with Felix and Drusilla. We see that Felix was terrified by what he heard, but he did not respond in faith. So let's consider several things. First, let's consider what is meant by the way. Well, number one on your outline is the way speaks of the Christian faith. Speaking of the Christian faith. In verse 14, Paul readily admitted to Felix that it was according to the way that he served the God of their fathers. In verse 22, Felix is described as having a more exact knowledge of the way. Now, it may be that this is referring to the fact that he had a, 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 a pretty good understanding of the way before hearing from Paul, or it could be saying that it was after hearing Paul speak that he now had a more exact understanding of the way. I really think both things are probably true because he was the governor of Judea and had been for a number of years. So it seems very likely that Felix had heard of Jesus Christ and had some understanding of the Christian faith at least. But I also think he probably learned some things he didn't know before by what Paul had just shared with him. Well, it's interesting in verse 22 that Felix's understanding of the way was what was connected to his decision to put off the Jewish leaders. He said he was going to wait until Lysias, the Roman commander, came to give more information. I really think this was just Felix's way of saying, I'm not going to give any more time to this issue. As best we know, Lysias never came to Caesarea to address this again. 
One thing that was clear to Felix from what Paul had said about the way was that the way was not a threat. He understood that it was, it was not Paul and others who were, but it was others who caused the dissension. It was, it was the Jewish response to them that was the problem. So he basically, for all practical purposes, dismissed the case, but he still kept Paul in custody, allowing him freedom so that his friends could come and bring food and uh, try to kind of minister friendship, helping in various ways, even, even though he was being held there. So let's look briefly at a couple things about what is meant by the way. The first thing it speaks to is this. Faith in Jesus as the Christ is the only way for any person to be in a right relationship with God. So why was the idea of the way, why was that phrase the common way of referring to the Christian faith at this time? Well, the first thing that comes to my, <coughs> to my mind is what Jesus said in John 14. There he was preparing, uh, he was talking with the disciples about preparing a place for them and for all who would believe in the Father's house. He then says, you know the way that I'm going. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how do we know the way? Well, Jesus' response is in John 14, 6, and 7. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would also know my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So Jesus identifies himself as the way, the way to come to the Father. The only way that a person can reach the Father's house or heaven is through faith in Jesus Christ. So he is the way to be in a right relationship with God. So when a person rightly knows Christ, Jesus said, then they also rightly know the Father. There's only one way for that to take place, and it's through Christ. Well, this rightly assumes then that apart from faith in Christ, it's impossible for anyone to be right with God. We've all sinned. We have all done things that are immoral and wrong, according to God's holy standard. We all have hearts that incline us toward things that are sinful. We have all sinned in our relationships with other people, how, what things we've said to others, how we've interacted with other people. And because of these things, we are really more deserving of God's condemnation than we are of enjoying His presence. But Jesus came to earth to save sinners. He perfectly obeyed the law of God as one who was fully man and fully God. He died on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners. He endured the condemnation that we all deserve. He then rose from the dead to confirm that he earned salvation for all who would believe in him. So Jesus is the way. He is the one and only way to salvation. It seems that Felix understood this to some degree. And because of what Paul said before him, Felix understood this next point about the way as well. So our next point is this. The Christian faith is fully consistent with the law and the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures. This is something that Paul was very careful to emphasize in his presentation to Felix, and really he'd been emphasizing this in all these meetings that he's had over, over, the, over the preceding days that we just talked about in, in the preceding chapters. The Jews were accusing him of being a sect or part of a false religion. They were accusing him of being against the law of Moses, accusing him of being really against the Jewish faith in general. Well, Paul makes it clear 
Those things are not true. The law of Moses, for example, required blood sacrifices for sin to be offered up by priest to God on behalf of the sinner. Well, Paul understood that those things were all pointing toward Christ, toward the Messiah. So as the Lamb of God, Jesus was the sacrifice on the cross. Jesus was the great high priest that we all need. And instead of offering an animal, like the Old Testament priests were doing, he offered himself. And he continues to function as the great high priest for all believers. That is, that is perfectly consistent with what, the Old, with what the law of the Old Testament says. Paul believed the prophecies of Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and David and others in the things that they said about the Messiah who was to come. He was born of a virgin, just like Isaiah prophesied he would be. Isaiah also prophesied that he would be the suffering servant. His death was the blood of the new covenant, just like Jeremiah prophesied. He rose from the dead, just like David prophesied he would. So as Paul said in verse 14, as a Christian, he believed everything that was in accordance with the law and that had been written in the prophets. Those are all things that are involved in the way that Felix had some knowledge of. Well, we see in verses 24 to 26 that Felix had, Felix had continuing conversations with Paul about the way. From what is said, he learned more about what was involved in the way, though he was not willing to commit to the way himself. So in our second main point, we see this. To embrace the way, a person needs to understand how desperately they need the way. Like many, Felix had a mental understanding of what the way, of what the Christian faith was about, but he did not see it as having any real personal application in his life. So in further conversations, Paul sought to make it more personal for him. Look again in verses 24 to 26. It says, But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. But as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. At the same time, too, he was hoping that money would be given him by Paul. Therefore, he also used to send for him quite often and converse with him. It will help to understand these verses to know a little bit about who Felix and Drusilla were. We said last week that Felix was well-known as a corrupt politician. He dealt with those who were under his authority in just ruthless ways. In his private life, he was known as being a cruel man. He was also known as being full of lust. So he was bad from every angle. Drusilla was the youngest daughter of Herod Agrippa I. This was the Herod who was struck down by God in Acts 12, he was struck down because he received praise as if he was a god. Well, Drusilla, uh, uh, Drusilla is Felix's third wife. She was married to a king in Syria when she was 16 years old. Felix, Drusilla caught, Felix, caught Felix's eye, let me put it that way. And he, he continued to pursue her and to persuade her to leave her husband, had an, an adulterous relationship with her, 
and she ultimately becomes his wife. At that time, she was, and at the time of this story, she was probably around 20 years old. Felix was, seems to be quite a bit older. We're also told that she was a Jewess. So Felix apparently thought that she might have some interest in what Paul had to say. Well, in this conversation, Paul did not have to defend himself from the Sanhedrin's charges that, that had been dealt with. So he could now apply the gospel message the way directly to, to Felix and Trusilla, and that's exactly what he did. We see in verse 24 that Paul spoke to them about faith in Christ Jesus. So since he spoke about Christ, that means he would talk to them about how he was the promised Messiah, the one that the Jewish prophets had spoken of. I would imagine that he probably took some time talking about some of those prophecies to reinforce that Jesus was the Christ the Messiah. He's also described as Jesus there. Jesus means the one who saves. So Paul would have spoken of Jesus as the one who provided salvation, who accomplished salvation for sinners, again, because he was the way. Well, to help Felix and Drusilla understand their need to embrace the way, he spoke of three other things. First is this. He made it clear that the Lord requires that every person live a life of perfect righteousness. Every person must live a life of perfect righteousness. It says in verse 25, Paul was discussing righteousness. I think this probably means that Paul was emphasizing God's standard of what was right and what was wrong. He knew very well what a cruel and murderous person Felix was. So he probably spent some time talking about you shall not murder and what that meant. He knew how deceptive and dishonest Felix was, so he probably spent some time talking about, you shall not bear false witness. Paul knew how Felix was driven by material things, so he probably talked about, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. Paul was not concerned about repercussions from speaking truth to people who were in authority over him. His concern was being faithful to the gospel, so he spoke very directly about the fact that we are all obligated by our Creator to live a life of righteousness. Second, Paul pointed out that the Lord requires that every person live a moral, self-controlled life. A moral, self-controlled life. The word, is, the word here especially speaks of purity or moral chastity. It speaks to the need for self-control over sensual desires in particular. The law of God says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Felix had clearly done that. He had made every effort, and he was the one instigating, doing this, everything I've read about, to get Drusilla away from her husband to come to him instead. And the reality was that at that time, both Felix and Drusilla were actually living in an adulterous relationship. They had both fallen far short of what the Lord required of them. Drusilla should have known better. As a Jewish woman, she should have been familiar with the Ten Commandments. Well, Paul is calling both of them to consider what a mess they have made of their lives. We might think this was kind of mean and insensitive on Paul's part. I mean, shouldn't he have just spoken in more generalities uh, so that neither Felix or Drusilla would take it personally? Uh, maybe he could just try to impress them with his winning personality. That's not what he did. 
This was the most loving thing that Paul could have done. He was being given the freedom to share very pointedly with these people, and he wanted to make the most of the opportunity. He saw them as being people in great need and in great danger before God. Well, the third thing that Paul spoke of makes it clear how important it was that both Felix and Priscilla take their sin seriously and listen to what Paul has to say. He makes it clear that, point C, the Lord has ordained that every person will appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their life. Paul had already spoken of this back in verse 15, um, and and, uh, Felix had already heard this, but he says there in verse 15, there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. This is speaking of the fact that when Christ comes again for the second coming, all people will be raised out of their grave to appear before Jesus Christ as their judge. Both the righteous and the wicked will, will be raised to stand before Christ as their judge. Well, here in verse 24, Paul makes it clear that Felix, to Felix and Drusilla that they need to realize this applies to them. Being a civil magistrate did not exempt them from giving an account of their lives to God. Judgment day was going to come. They would have to stand before the Lord of all. Their holy and sovereign creator would require them to give an account of their lives to him. They both may have thought that they had gotten away with their adulterous relationship at that present time, but that wasn't true. They were going to be required to stand before God and hear him render them guilty. And since neither of them had believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they would both suffer eternal consequences. They would suffer eternal destruction away from the blessed presence of God. Paul makes it all really clear. He does not want them to think that just because they had some understanding of the way, some understanding of the Christian faith, that that was enough. It wasn't enough. Just to have some understanding was not enough. They had to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. That was their hope. And that's why Paul had spoken to them of faith in Christ Jesus. That's what they needed. Well, Felix's response to what Paul had to say leads us to consider one more thing this morning. So in our last main point, we see that the Lord has given the gift of conscience, the gift of conscience as an important help in one's relationship with God. The Lord has given each of us, it's, uh, there's different ways to describe it. Here's one of the phrases that, I, that, w- that was used to describe con- con- conscience to me. The faculty of soul that enables us to perceive of conduct in reference to whether it is right or whether it is wrong. Faculty of soul enables us to see conduct and make the determination, is this right or is this wrong? And praise God that he gives us this moral sense. Can you imagine if people didn't have consciences? This is a big deal. This is a gift from God. Paul speaks of it in Romans 2.15. He says there that even unbelievers, people who are not Christians, show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness, and their thoughts alternately accusing or else defending them. And then in that verse, Paul then ties conscience into the day of judgment when he says, on that day, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. So the conscience is going to come into play all the way into eternity. 
William Perkins made this observation based on some of these uh, biblical passages about what God designed the conscience to be. He's what he says. The proper actions or duties of conscience are twofold, to give testimony or to give judgment. To give testimony or to give judgment. So the conscience either gives testimony that we are doing the right thing, or it pronounces judgment that we are doing what is wrong. The issue of conscience has been brought up several times by Paul in this sequence of trials that he's been involved in in the last few chapters. So Paul's use of conscience in his own life fits within the first action of conscience that Perkins speaks of here. So we see first, Paul modeled the use of conscience to give testimony regarding one's faith and obedience to the Lord. Back in Acts 23, when Paul first met with the Sanhedrin, he began with this statement, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience before God up to this day. And then in his appearance before Felix, with the Sanhedrin present, he says in chapter 24, 15, and 16, he says, uh, There shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In view of this, I also do my best to maintain always a blameless conscience before God and before men. So Paul is giving a summary of his life choices since Jesus Christ especially revealed himself to Paul as the Christ. And in those choices, he has put his faith in Jesus Christ. He had ceased to persecute the church. He had begun to serve Jesus Christ as his Lord. He had begun to teach others that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophecies about the coming Messiah. He began to reach out to fellow Jews all through the Roman Empire to help them see these truths. He had begun to reach out to Gentiles all through the Roman Empire to share the gospel with them. He had started churches in many, many different cities. In doing these things, Paul was being consistent with the Hebrew Scriptures. Paul was focused on serving and worshiping the one true God in all that he did. This doesn't mean that he never sinned. It doesn't mean that he never made a mistake. But as to the general direction that his life was going, he sought to maintain, he says, a blameless conscience both before God and before men. Blameless conscience for God and men. So Paul's conscience then here gives a positive testimony regarding Paul's life. Paul's conscience really was not the only thing that gave him guidance. Um, we watched Pinocchio the other night. Most of you know the story if you haven't watched it. Jiminy Cricket's mantra is, always let your conscience be your guide. There's even a song, I think, about that that they might sing. We might could all sing it together. I don't know. But we're not going to. Um, and there's some truth to that. I mean, the conscience is important. God has given us our conscience. And it's an important guide for us. We also need to recognize that it's not the only thing that should be our guide. Our guide. We need to be sure that our conscience is informed by the truths of the Word of God. The Scriptures are much more reliable than my conscience or yours is. So the Scriptures need to inform our conscience. We need to abide in Christ. 
We need to walk by the Spirit. We need to be regular in prayer. All those things tie into how we live our lives and uh, seek to understand what is right and wrong and what is honoring to God especially. So conscience is important, but it's not our only guide in life. But we do need to listen to our conscience and use it as an encouragement to obey God. Paul said he did that to help him as he walked out his life, that he used that. One of the problems with conscience is that it can be abused. And most all of us have probably done that. Well, we have done things that our conscience has said, shouldn't be doing that. That's the wrong thing. That's not right. And the more you kind of go against your conscience, the more you kind of begin to become numb to your conscience. So conscience can be abused. Well, Felix is an example of that. So in our next point, we see this. Felix modeled the use of conscience to give judgment regarding one's, one's unbelief and disobedience to the Lord. In verses 24 and 25, we are told of the things that Paul emphasized to Felix and Drusilla. As we said, he spoke to them of faith in Christ Jesus. He spoke of the need for righteousness. He spoke of the need for a moral and self-controlled kind of life. He spoke of the fact that every person was going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of their life. And then we see Felix's response. He became frightened. There's different words that are used here in some of the translations. Frightened, fearful, alarmed. Some say he trembled, that he literally, physically trembled because of what Paul was saying. Why? It's because his conscience was awakened by the things that Paul spoke about. His conscience accused him and told him he was guilty before a holy God. He saw the wickedness of his life. He saw the evil of the sinful choices that he had made. And he knew that he was going to have to give an account of every one of those choices before God. So he trembled. John Flavel made this observation. He says, when a man's eyes are opened... To see the evil that is, in the, that is in sin and the eternal misery that follows. So you've got the sin and the misery that follows. Then he has a parenthesis here. He says, sin and hell being linked together with such strong change as nothing but the blood of Christ can loose. Important parenthesis. So let me go back and read it without the parenthesis. When a man's eyes are opened to see the evil that is in sin and the eternal misery that follows it, then, then no burden is like that of sin. That's why he trembled. He was scared to death. The governor was scared to death. Conscience not only makes us realize that we have done something wrong, it also forces us to recognize there are going to be consequences to this. Paul has spoken of the judgment to come. So Felix was forced to see the link between his sin and between the eternal misery that he would endure. Felix's response is a warning to us. We need to take seriously the accusations of our conscience. We need to take seriously the things that the Word of God says that we need to believe and understand. 
We need to take seriously our need for Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It is complete, very foolish to actually put those things aside and not respond to these to, to, when the Lord is speaking to us through our conscience. Well, Felix did the wrong thing. Finally, we see this. Tragically, Felix also models the sin of refusing to deal with one's sin and refusing the way as the only hope of being right with God. Paul made it clear that faith in Jesus Christ was Felix and Drusilla's only hope. But instead of repenting and believing in Christ, Felix sent Paul away, it seems like, pretty immediately, pretty, pretty quickly. He did not want to continue to think about the things that had just caused him to tremble and be afraid. He worked hard to put all that stuff out of his mind. We can do the same thing. There's all kinds of stuff we can begin to do to kind of occupy our mind so we don't have to think about what just penetrated our hearts and caused us to be afraid. But we've got to be careful of that. It won't work out well for us, just like it didn't work out well for Felix. So instead, what Felix did, he did continue to meet with Paul at various times over the next couple years, apparently, but he put a twist on what their conversations were going to consist of now. His purpose now in talking with Paul was hoping maybe that he could get Paul to give him some money so that Felix would set him free. The only thing we can figure is that maybe there's some connection with here. He he knew that Paul had brought this offering and maybe just kind of assumed that he had some access to some money, you know, that he could give to Felix and maybe people would work to put money together to get him free. That was, in Felix's mind, that was the reason to continue talking with Paul, not the other stuff. He wanted money. He was coveting. Well, this apparently took place for another two years or so until Felix was replaced by Festus, and Felix just left Paul in the condition where he was, and we'll get to that next week. Felix was a sinful man. And his conscience confirmed that very vividly, confirmed that to him. But God in his mercy had just brought him face to face with the Apostle Paul who pointed him to the answer, to the way, pointed him to Jesus Christ. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses from all sin. The things that Felix was trembling about, so afraid of, It was the blood of Christ that was shed to cleanse and forgive those things. It's by faith in Christ that any person can be forgiven and be made righteous before God. We want to make sure that we do not continue to say, No, 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 I'm not going to do that. And thank the Lord. For many of us, He has given us the grace to respond to Jesus Christ. And so when we do stand before Jesus Christ as our judge, we're confident that that judge is our Savior. And that's what gives us the hope. But we want to thank you very much again for your word. I thank you for something, just a simple gift, the gift of conscience. Every one of us have experienced that. We have all had things that we have done that we have been ashamed of, that we knew even when we were doing it, we should not be doing it. 
thank you for that gift of conscience. Lord, I ask that you would help us not to continue to say no to the conscience because that's a real temptation. Because of the sin in our hearts, that's what we are often inclined to do. But Lord, I ask that you would help us to respond in right ways. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enable us to respond rightly when we are convicted of sin and to bring that to you, to respond rightly when we're faced with choices and we want to do the wrong thing, but we know we should do the right. Holy Spirit, enable us to do what is right. The main thing that the conscience points us to is the fact that we need Jesus Christ as our Savior. There's none of us who can be good enough to stand before you. There is only one way to stand right before you, and that is through faith in Christ. Help us to just, to just hold to that just so tightly. If you're one who's never put your faith in Christ, if you're one who has had your conscience tell you multiple times over your life that you're heading the wrong way, you need Christ, I would invite you to listen to your conscience. Listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. A prayer like this will be a way to start. Lord, I realize that I am a sinner. I have done many things that my conscience still bothers me for. But I thank you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I want to trust in him to save me from my sin. And I want to commit myself to Jesus Christ as my Lord for the rest of my life. If you want to talk in more detail about that commitment, you can make a note in your tear-off or those who are watching online can reach out to us through the, through the website. It is in the name of Christ.